VegCast. Hey there, happy Halloween. VegCast. I'm Vance, we're VegCast 53 and VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, yes, that was a pathetic attempt to rhyme Halloween with the number of the podcast, but... Uh, we're not going to look back. We're going to look forward to another full menu of vegetarian podcastry this time out. Uh, we have an extra long interview with Karen Davis. We bulked it up a little because uh, we skipped the first uh, podcast for October. Uh, had a bunch of crazy stuff happening uh, here in Philadelphia, which I will go into a little bit later. But in the meantime, Karen Davis of United Poultry Concerns will be uh, talking to us about uh, her latest book and her latest plans. She'll be appearing at the Green Festival in Washington, D.C. in a couple of weeks. Uh, we also have a science fact for you about vegetarianism going global. Well, it's not quite vegetarianism, but a plant-based diet and how it benefits everybody around the world and not just uh, those of us in Western countries, and we will also have uh, a musical selection from Heidi Howe. We don't know if you remember this great country singer Heidi Howe. That's all going to be coming up shortly right here, so please just sit back, uh, kick off those shoes, put your feet up, and crank up your MP3 player as we deliver this episode of... Bench. All right. Well, faithful VegCast listeners may remember Karen Davis from our first Thanksgiving uh, podcast, uh, which we did back in 2005, where we talked specifically about the issue of turkeys and uh, Karen's book, More Than a Meal. We will now be talking on a little wider range of issues and especially about uh, things that have come up since then, uh, such as Proposition 2 in California and how that uh, affects the uh, seemingly growing divide between the humane uh, legislation branch of the animal rights movement and those who are more focused on abolition. So without any more explanation, let's go right into the Karen Davis interview. Okay, joining us right now on VegCast is Karen Davis of United Poultry Concerns. Karen, welcome back to VegCast. Thank you very much, Vance. I'm delighted to be on your show again. And it's great to have you here. Uh, coming up just uh, very shortly after this podcast goes online is uh, the Green Festival in Washington, D.C., which uh, you're going to speaking, be speaking at. And I wanted to just start there because um, green is now very hot. It's a hot trend. It, everybody wants to be green. And um, I'm wondering if you, as somebody that uh, has been covering these issues for a long time, uh, are seeing any, uh, any movement in terms of people's consciousness once they think, oh, I should start changing my lifestyle to become more green, to the logical, the next step, oh, I should start changing my lifestyle to actually make, put it more in line with things that I basically believe. Well, Vance, here's what I'm seeing. First of all, there has been uh, a pretty uh, well-established gap between the animal advocacy side um, and the environmentalist side, which is basically 
about uh, viewing animals uh, ethically as individuals as well as members of species, and the environmentalist approach, which tends to look at systems and uh, larger, more abstractified um, entities and to see uh, animals in those terms. But um, I think that increasingly there is a coming together of the animal advocacy uh, perspective and the environmentalist perspective as we see, for example, the uh, deleterious effects uh, that are being uh, uh, broadcast even by the, the, you know, the, the world uh, 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 agriculture um, uh, organizations and others, uh, the terrible effects of uh, factory farming of right. animals on the uh, quality of the environment and the extent to which global warming uh, is being seen from the standpoint of uh, industrialized animal agricultural production so that uh, there are some inescapable facts that are now being presented by some very uh, uh, establishment type of think tanks showing that when people are eating huge, huge amounts of animal products, uh, that leads not only to extremely uh, cruel treatment of animals in mass production systems, but that it also, this cruel treatment also flows out into the environment in the form of uh, greenhouse gases, uh, ammonia fumes, and other kinds of pollutants that affect all life on Earth, uh, humans as well as other animals. And, of course, these pollutants are concentrated in the factory farm buildings themselves. Right. There is definitely a logical connection between environmentalism and, uh, say, vegetarianism just for that one reason. Um, what I'm wondering specifically is if you're seeing environmentalists or people who are, you know, adopting the green thing making that next step to say, you know, it's not just that these things are bad for the environment, but since I'm now looking at my lifestyle uh, and my the decisions that I make and how they contribute to something larger, might I not just look at how, what the effect is on the planet at large, but look at these indisputable facts that are coming out that a lot of people still seem to be kind of blissfully unaware of them or trying to remain unaware of them. You mean regarding how animals suffer in these uh, uh, confinement operations? Sure. I mean, oh. that just for example. Okay. Well, what I'm seeing, first of all, this will be our fourth year exhibiting at the Green Festival. And it'll be my first year speaking there. And, in fact, I'm going to be speaking, uh, representing uh, the environmentalist animal advocacy uh, uh, relationship in a positive way because the title of my presentation is Environmental Ethics and Animal Advocacy, colon, Common Ground. So I'm trying to emphasize and um, uh, accentuate the positive in my presentation. Uh, rather than uh, scold environmentalists for not having paid enough attention to animals um, and, let's say, in particular, farmed animals who are as much a part of the environment right. and as much a part of the community of living beings on Earth as individuals as well as, uh, as members of species as, uh, as, as flowers and, and mountains and human beings and any other components. So there's no question that there has been uh, a, a, a kind of overlooking of, of non-human animals in the environmentalist perspective, which I think is, again, starting slowly to, uh, to improve um, towards uh, including animals in the environmental perspective. Um, the, what I'm seeing right now that's disturbing to me 
is, uh, in addition to the positive signs I'm describing, I'm also seeing um, an attitude of, and I have gotten spoken to two people who contacted me just this week along these lines, um, of, well, factory farming is bad, but uh, a community animal production, community-based animal production, right. family returning to the so-called family farm, cage-free uh, operations, and so on, uh, sort of a Michael Pollan, uh, Eric Schlosser approach to the whole problem of uh, environmental pollution uh, as a result of industrialized animal production. This has kind of taken hold uh, on a lot of people uh, who um, want to find a way to continue to eat animal products and still feel that they are uh, uh, being humane towards the animals as well as being better stewards of the earth. And just these two people, who, both of whom were men, who contacted me for some information this past week, uh, both told me, one told me he had been a vegetarian, but now he was moving into the uh, family farm proactivity and that whereas he, you know, he loves pigs, but now he started to eat them again because right. he loves them and he thinks they're, you know, he's satisfied that now they're being treated humanely as long as they're not on a so-called factory farm. Right. The other man who called me said that he had been a vegan. He called me from Vermont. And um, but now he was um, convinced that community-based agriculture, including animal agriculture, was much more important than any other uh, element of our relationship to the planet. So, and and I just give those examples as two of a kind of uh, large trend that um, is to me very disturbing because I have argued in in many different uh, venues that the idea that you can feed billions of people um, uh, a factory-free, factory-farm-free animal products, or even millions of people, um, is really an illusion. And the idea that you can raise and slaughter animals humanely is an illusion. So I'm seeing both, you know, I'm seeing two things happening. I'm seeing uh, a greater interest in and um, uh, concern about the treatment of farmed animals in factory farming operations, and I'm seeing more and more people become vegan and vegetarian, and that's, a, that's, that's the thumbs-up part. Right. Um, but, but I'm also seeing uh, uh, the other side where this whole notion of, of, of humanely raised pork and beef and chicken and eggs and all of that and milk uh, is, is, is something that's being latched onto, and it is being taken up um, by the mass media, particularly in the New York Times, you read articles about how, well, we need to get our government to uh, regulate uh, uh, these uh, factory farming operations better, but uh, individuals uh, shouldn't have to feel that they have to give up their hamburgers and their chicken. Right. So when people get that message, uh, then they are being lulled into the, uh, the uh, a falsity of a, um, uh, an ethical solution that isn't one in fact. And another example, of course, is last week's Oprah Winfrey show, where it was really great that Oprah Winfrey showed um, the, uh, uh, some examples of the horrific treatment of hens in battery cages, of uh, uh, pregnant sows in narrow uh, uh, sow uh, stalls where they can't turn around at all, mm-hmm. and of uh, calves, baby calves in uh, similar types of uh, totally constraining veal calf crates. But the problem was that, um, that the show then showed three examples of each 
type of animal being raised in a so-called free-range type, a more free-range type of setting. Um, and uh, what was wrong there, in my opinion, was that, the, first of all, they, sh they showed, except in the case of the poor veal calves who were just sitting in a building together, you know, normally these types of calves would be running and romping and everything else, so most people don't even know what a calf does anymore, um, so they don't even know what they're looking at when they see see these so-called alternatives, right. but, um, but, but then the pigs were shown in a, in a situation that would be very unlike the way the majority of pigs would be raised um, for mass consumption, even under the best of circumstances, and the same with the hens who are being used for egg production. Um, most egg production, if it goes away from the cage uh, type of operation, is going to go to what's called a cage-free operation which is certainly an improvement on the cage type of production uh, for hens. But, but the fact is the hens are still going to be, you know, stuffed into buildings. Um, they're going to be, you know, uh, the, the, these uh, producers who are looking to these cage-free operations, they want to build many uh, perches and platforms so that they can have these birds just stuff even many more birds, you know, by having these elevated structures as well as the floors. So the birds are, and, and I already know of some examples, one uh, which is just opening 48,000 so-called cage-free hens in a single facility right here in Virginia. So, um, again, we're looking, at, we're looking at things like the representation um, of, of, of the alternatives to factory farming as something that is supposedly not factory farming, but in reality, mass production is always going to be factory farming. And, uh, you know, I, I criticized the Oprah Winfrey show for... Um, kind of presenting a, a, a you know an, an illusory view of what consumer alternatives were, um, of not making a clear distinction between cage-free production and truly free range. Um, of course, showing nothing at all about the transport and slaughter of these animals. Um, uh, none of that was shown, or anything about hatcheries. None of that was shown, so people don't really see the backstory story, or you know, rolling forward to what it's going to be like in the slaughterhouse and the transport trucks. Right. So uh, I don't mean to keep going on. That, that's fine. I just wanted. I mean, since we're kind of getting into this area, I wanted to bring up uh, another thing that's coming up, which is uh, on election day, voters in California will be voting on Proposition Two, which is kind of puts some of these uh, concerns, distills it into actual uh, proposed uh, government regulation. And I just wanted to get uh, your brief take on, uh, you know, it's obviously it's always a good thing when we try to ameliorate the situation of animals, but is, is this feeding into that whole concept of making feel, people feel better about uh, being party to th this exploitation? Would you, would you say yes or no on Proposition 2? Well, United Poultry Concerns, my organization, um, is an organizational sponsor of Proposition 2. And um, I am very ambivalent about the proposition. Uh, I didn't feel that United Poultry Concerns could refuse to support any measure that might bring even a modicum of relief to uh, millions of, ch of hens and, and other animals, but of course of the 20 million animals who are being represented as uh, uh, likely to be affected by Proposition 2 if it passes into law, um, it's really the 19 uh, million um, uh, uh, hens in uh, California who are going to be most affected. Mm -hmm. But um, again, unfortunately, the proposition is represented as a prevention of cruelty to farm animals in California. 
And so I have quarreled over the use of the term prevention of cruelty. Uh, I would prefer the term reduction of cruelty as being a more honest and accurate, um, but I, I have, I've been overruled, obviously. Um, I, I had a letter in the New York Times last week in which I uh, uh, urged support for Proposition 2 and extension of similar legislation to other states if it would, again, uh, uh, bring even uh, a smidgen of relief to these uh, millions of caged hens and other animals who are trapped in these systems and are never going to escape from them. But at the same time, I'm seeing what I was just describing uh, a few minutes ago, um, and that is that uh, many people are getting jumping on the bandwagon of now we can have humanely raised eggs, humanely raised um, uh, this, that, and the other. And even the animals themselves are referred to in a way that's not helping animals, in my opinion, as pork. It's, you know, how can you talk about humanely raised pork? It's a humanely raised pig who is turned into pork. But the, the merging of animals into meat or, and into the eggs and into the dairy is um, itself a, a, a rhetorical problem with serious uh, political and uh, public uh, perception uh, uh, problems. And then we have other issues to look at regarding Proposition 2, by the way, which was the hook for the Oprah Winfrey show that I discussed a few minutes ago, of Proposition 2. But then you have other issues, and that has to do with the extent to which the industry, these uh, farmed animal industries, will accelerate what they're already doing, which is increasingly outsourcing their production. Um, If they find that it is cheaper... Uh, from the standpoint of welfare laws, uh, uh, environmental regulations, and worker protection uh, regulations to simply move their uh, animal production operations to Mexico or Thailand or China uh, or wherever where they can do business without having to pay for it, um, that's going to happen. At the same time, uh, uh, we can't be held hostage to all of these um, likely scenarios and do nothing for these animals. I guess my, my real concern is that I believe that we need to do what we can to reform the supply side of uh, animal suffering in farm animal operations. That is the suppliers, the people who own the animals, raise them, uh, own the processing or slaughter plants, uh, the retail chains, and so on. But where I differ from uh, some other people in the animal advocacy movement is that I do not believe that we should be catering to the demand side. I, in, in, in that sense, and, and what I mean by that is, um, I really, if we're not, if we are giving people the false idea that they can have uh, humanely raised animals, again, everything is going to turn into increasingly larger factory farm operations that go by the name of humane this and humane that and cage-free this and cage-free that. But it'll be kind of like in George Orwell's uh, um, uh, 1984, where the Brotherhood, which uh, developed as an alternative to the horrific Big Brother, ended up just mimicking Big Brother. It just right. became just a, another, you know, the, the other side of Big Brother. Or Animal there Farm no basically makes the same point. Well, yeah. exactly, where, yeah, exactly, where you've got a parable there where the, the animals, uh, you know, themselves choose freedom. Of course, they can't do that in, 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 sadly in real life, but then the animals who are the strongest 
end up, uh, uh, in, you know, uh, uh, demeaning and enslaving uh, all the other animals and create the same hierarchy of, of power and abuse that they originally led a revolution to uh, uh, to topple when it was the, the human oppressors. Well, but so me... you see these kinds of uh, analogies taking place right now. We, I'm concerned that if we are not actively promoting the the vegan the vegan uh, uh, diet lifestyle option. Um, it, 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 the, these products are not going to appear in prominent places in uh, supermarkets. Um, they're not going to be advertised. Um, they will leave the shelves, or they will appear only in uh, marginalized, uh, obscure parts of the supermarkets. We will never see them advertised on television. The kind of consumer demand that we should be uh, that we should be uh, 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 creating as animal advocates is for vegan products. Uh, we don't have anything to apologize for vegan products. Vegan products are are prolific. They're, they're, everything is delicious. Uh, you've got uh, a, you know a better health likely to result from eating a vegan uh, diet and cuisine. Uh, you have uh, certainly a better chance of creating a more uh, sustainable environmental food production system. And um, there's nothing to be timid about. There should be nothing to be timid about in as strongly and, um, at, at, and in a positive sense advocating all of the benefits of a vegan diet and lifestyle. Well, so I see that this is a great opportunity that the question is, are we going to take advantage of it, or are we going to say, well, the public isn't ready, so we just got to go where they are right now and really lose this advantage that we should be advancing? Right, but before we leave this topic, let me just uh, tease out this one potential uh, area of overlap, which is that we want to promote veganism and get people thinking that, uh, you know, maybe I should try some vegan products and so forth, but you know, mightn't uh, the passage of Proposition 2 make a certain sector of those people that would otherwise be saying, yeah, I guess I'm, I'll try veganism, say, oh, I don't need to do that, like the guys that were calling you saying, oh, it's fine now because the, they've prevented cruelty, so, you know, now I don't need to do that. And are we taking potential resources away from where we could be focusing on the demand side to actually change that in order to get something, anything changed on the supply side. That's what I'm seeing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that pretty much sum, sums up the, what, I, what I see happening. Okay, well, let's, um, before we were uh, getting close to our, our time limit here, but I wanted to uh, check in with you on your books. If people are interested in reading more, there's certainly a lot uh, of stuff that we haven't even touched on yet, but um, your, your first book, Poisoned Chickens, Poisoned Eggs, I understand you're going to have a new version coming out of that in January. Is that right? Yes, Vance. Uh, Prison Chickens, Poisoned Eggs, an inside look at the modern poultry industry. Prison I have completely chicken. revised and updated the book since it was first published in 1996. Um, and I brought in so many things that have happened since then. On the positive side, you know, some uh, certainly chickens are now uh, very much at the forefront of, of uh, animal uh, welfare, animal advocacy in a way that they weren't uh, in the, or, you know, when I started United Poultry Concerns in 1990, and certainly my book and all of the work of United Poultry Concerns really did push the issue of chickens and other domesticated fowl to the position of prominence that it now, uh, that they now occupy in, in animal advocacy. 
but my book does, you know, bring things up to date uh, while it looks at some of the positive things that have happened and, uh, happened and are happening since uh, the mid-1990s. Uh, 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 at the same time, I am looking at a world in which, as I say here in the, uh, in the book, avian influenza, food poisoning, global warming, genetic engineering, and the expansion of poultry production and consumption are careening to an unsustainable point. Um, so again, while we see, we see positive things happening, we're certainly seeing, as far as uh, worldwide poultry production is concerned, it is just uh, blooming like bombs all over the planet. I mean, mm -hmm. you, if you follow the, 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 what is happening in industry, uh, you see that, for example, uh, factory farming, huge, huge uh, 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 warehouses like in the United States, are, uh, are becoming the norm in, and have become the norm in India and China and Russia and everywhere. And in addition, uh, uh, companies like Tyson Foods and, and the other big uh, agra, you know, uh, ConAgra and uh, Cargill, I mean, see, they have huge investments uh, all over the earth, particularly in the poultry uh, industry and in the pork industry or the pig industry and, and, and so on. But again, when you're looking at smaller animals and you're looking at the consumption of these smaller animals, uh, particularly chickens, I mean, you're looking at something that you can't even really uh, imagine in your wildest imagination. I mean, we're talking about something like a minimum of 50, you know, 55 billion uh, animals, the majority of which are, whom are birds, being slaughtered all over the earth, and you're looking at the doubling of the human population by the mid-21st uh, uh, century, and um, you're looking at increasing urbanization of people all over the world, people leaving farms and going into cities and citified uh, environments and uh, expecting to go to the store and not to have to spend a lot of their income on food. So again, um, I'm just always asking people who are touting uh, so-called alternative uh, Michael Pollan types of production, uh, mm -hmm. grass-fed this and that, um, how in the world they imagine that, uh, that millions and billions of people who just want to run into a supermarket and grab their food and get it as cheaply as possible and go home and cook it and hope that they don't have to spend any time doing that either, uh, how that's going to really play out. Again, there are always going to be a certain number of people who are going to be able to afford the more expensive types of ex what, what is called extensively raised animals as opposed to intensively. In other words, they have some actual pasture land or something like that. Right. But how that's ever going to uh, happen on a large scale, particularly a global scale, is, is beyond me. So, I, you know, in prison chickens, poisoned eggs, uh, my main focus is on the birds themselves. I do want to clarify that that um, the, my main concern and the, and the purpose of United Poultry Concerns is promoting the compassionate and respectful treatment of chickens, turkeys, ducks, and other domesticated fowl. So we primarily look at, and I look at in the books that I write, on how our behavior towards them affects them, um, who they are when they're not being abused, where the, how they evolved, and what their nature consists of, um, and, and how that nature is violated. Okay. So, so I try to tie these things together that, you know, the fact that when we are, we treat other animals so abominably as we treat these birds, again, we want people to see these birds as beings who have value in themselves. Um, that's, a, that, that's a major, that's a major purpose of this, of United Poultry Concerns and of Prison Chickens, Poisoned Eggs and my book, The Holocaust and the Handmaid's Tale, to, to get people to stop looking at, at, at the chickens, for example, as 
just a this, just a chicken. You know, it's, it's like there's justice and then there's justice, you know. Right. And we seek to, I seek to completely reverse that attitude to show that there's no just a chickens in the world. There, there should be, you know, there should be respect for them as for all beings who have feelings and uh, uh, the life that we all share and, uh, uh, you know, that we should want to uh, protect and cherish okay. as we do ourselves. All right, and you you did touch on the Holocaust and the Handmaid's Tale. I wanted to also mention uh, your book, More Than a Meal, since we have Thanksgiving coming up. But we did uh, go into some depth on that in our original VegCast interview, which I'll link if, if people want to follow up on that particular aspect. Uh, but again, there, uh, what you're saying about uh, you know reducing uh, animals that we want to eat to something that is you know worthless is certainly something that plays out in a very uh, big way in the case of turkeys, and you, you uh, go into uh, some compelling detail on that. But uh, we are pretty much out of time on this interview, but uh, Karen Davis, I wanted to thank you for uh, taking time out to join us here on VegCast. Thank you, Vance. I really consider it a privilege, an honor, and a pleasure, so it's great. And okay. thank you so much for having me as a guest. Thank you, and I'll look forward to seeing you at the Green Festival. I look forward to seeing you.
King of the Vinyl, a great little country waltz. And speaking of countries, uh, we have a science fact that deals with how the benefits of a plant-based diet apply no matter what country you are in. Science fact. Our science fact for this VegCast. Greens, greens, they're good for your heart. Study. In other words... A study is saying that greens are good for your heart. This is from Agence France Presse, and it reads, Diets worldwide that are rich in fried and salty foods increase heart attack risk while eating lots of fruit, leafy greens, and other vegetables reduces that risk. A groundbreaking study showed... The study called InterHeart looked at 16,000 heart attack patients and controls between 1999 and 2003 in countries on every continent, marking a shift from previous studies which have focused on the developed world. The researchers found that people who eat a diet high in fried food, salty snacks, eggs, and meat, the so-called Western diet, had a 35% greater risk of having a heart attack than people who consumed little or no fried foods or meat, regardless of where they live. People who ate a prudent diet, high in leafy green vegetables, other raw and cooked vegetables, and fruits, had a 30% lower risk of heart attack than those who ate little or no fruit and veg. The study showed, and uh, it has goes on with a... Quote from Salim Yusuf, a senior author of the study, we had focused research on the West uh, previously, he means, uh, because heart disease was mainly predominant in Western countries 25 to 30 years ago. Uh, But heart disease is now increasingly striking people in developing countries. 80% of heart disease today is in low- to middle-income countries, partly because more people around the world are eating Western diets, he said. And uh, all the talk about Western diets is... Fine, but this does uh, remind us of the China study where T. Colin Campbell went over to China to kind of compare apples to apples uh, in terms of what people were eating and being able to control for other environmental and geographical factors uh, and compare even, you know, people living way out in the boondocks of China 
in order to show that it wasn't just a question of people in America maybe, you know, living too close to smokestacks or something, but that it really was a question of what people were eating. And Campbell did find that the most significant factor in those diets uh, was the inclusion of animal protein. So uh, in this inter-heart study, it's great that they are detailing that you don't have to be in the West, per se, to eat a Western diet and to suffer from it. But uh, it would be great to have uh, not just the salty foods, the snacks, and so forth uh, be kind of foregrounded here, but the heaviness of meat that Americans and uh, other people in the West do tend to load up on. Uh, so whether or not a little bit of meat might be healthy, might be worth eating, might not do too much damage, that's something that we could uh, we could maybe see a study coming out about that. But the preponderance of evidence shows now that the amount of meat that Americans and uh, their Western counterparts tend to eat, and those people in developing countries who are emulating uh, the West are now tending to eat, uh, is not tenable from a health standpoint. It's, they're just simply eating too many animal products. And uh, so we can hope that uh, eventually the people in the developing countries will get a clue and say, hey, maybe we don't have to emulate this. And we can hope that when they want more information about healthy diets, they, like all right-thinking people, will turn to the science fact. All right. Before we get out of here, I just want to make a couple of notes. First, uh, November 1st is World Vegan Day, and I just found out that a national chain of uh, kind of organic cosmetics called Lush is going to be celebrating World Vegan Day uh, with in-store promotions at all their stores and uh, special events and things. Uh, some will have people dressed up as vegetables. Some will have actual vegan food prepared in the stores. Uh, many will have literature that they're handing out. Uh, the Philadelphia store will actually have vegan treats that they're making uh, on Saturday and uh, handing out. That store is down on Walnut Street, but I wanted to put this note in since this is a national chain. Wherever, uh, if you can hear the sound of my voice, you can uh, possibly find one in your town uh, and uh, go check that out. That's kind of an unprecedented thing for a large uh, national retail chain to undertake, so I wanted to let people know about that. Uh, we'll have a link uh, to Lush in our show notes also. If you want to look for more information, find a store location. Uh, also, I wanted to uh, follow up when I said, uh, you know, the uh, October podcast was kind of pushed back and uh, events warranted that. Uh, the event the main event uh, was the Phillies marching through the playoffs to win the World Series. And uh, the reason that that is relevant is that their victory uh, was entirely predicated on the uh, vegetarian and vegan options being expanded at Citizens Bank Park. And if you don't believe me, you can read the article I wrote uh, for our local newspaper here uh, explaining exactly how that works. Uh, I wrote that back on October 9th and predicted that the Phillies would win the World Series because of this. So I'm feeling pretty good right now, but it's still about time to get out of here.
Okay, thanks to Karen Davis of United Poultry Concerns for talking with us today on VegCast. Uh, you can see her at the Green Festival in Washington, D.C., uh, November 8th and 9th, if you happen to be in the neighborhood. Thanks also to Heidi Howe for allowing us to play her music on VegCast. And, of course, thanks to you for downloading VegCast. You can find us at iTunes. You can go to VegCast.com, subscribe there, and find all the archives of our previous 52 shows. We'll be back pretty soon with you for the next one. Until then, get out there and live like you mean it. Veg-cast.